urban crime has been growing very strongly in Kinshasa, where I live. The group's military capacity was predominantly derived either from Libya's conflict parties themselves and their foreign backers, or from engagement revenue-wise in illicit economic activities. So yes, they did directly benefit from that, and that's part of the reason why they'll ultimately not leave unless coerced into leaving. Some of the people involved in drug trafficking, and in South Africa in particular, your gangs and people involved in gangsterism and drugs are heavy users of the illicit firearm markets. So unfortunately, it seems as though the federal government has just enough power to personally enrich the people who rise to the top of those structures, but not enough to hold them accountable um, to their constituent populations. People are coming back to a town where they can still find bodies laying down on the streets. So yes, there's no exchange of fire, but we don't need to be any experts on health to know that it's not a good environment for people to live. At the end of November 2021, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, alongside the Institute for Security Studies, released the Africa Organized Crime Index. It provides a picture of criminality and resilience in every country in Africa. The aim is to guide African policymaking and to stimulate debate on one of the greatest threats to the security and development of the continent, organized crime. Now, this was the second incarnation of the index. The first was released two years ago in 2019. Since then, there have been huge global events, from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic to the ongoing threat of climate change. Regionally, we've seen the death of longtime Chadian President Idris Deby, which shook the Sahel, a region plagued by jihadists and armed groups. In Mozambique, the Islamist insurgency in Cabo Delgado has continued to rage, with major attacks like the one at Palma. So how has organized crime changed over the last two years? That's the question we want to answer today in Africa and the global illicit economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm your host, Lindim Tongana. Today we're joined by Martin Ewi from the Institute for Security Studies. But first, here's Laura Adele from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. She explains why the 2021 Africa Organized Crime Index was created. Africa's fast-paced growth in economic, social, and technological development over the past decade, coupled with its intertwining with other geopolitical and globalization dynamics, suggests that organized crime on the continent has expanded in the way that it operates with its impact reaching across the entirety of the continent. And so while today we see so many issues that affect Africa and of course the world that may seem more pressing like climate change, inequality, and of course the pandemic, it's not that these issues are distinct separate problems. In reality, the issue of organized crime is really linked to these other problems because it enables them and profits from them. And so there's an urgent need to prioritize responses to deal with these concerning developments. 
But having said that, really, the only way for responses to be effective is for us to be able to understand the organized crime threat and its scale, which is a particularly difficult thing to do, given the inherently clandestine nature of organized crime. And so really prior to the development of index, tools on organized crime were either designed for use at the national level or limited to specific criminal threats and didn't necessarily fully meet the the broader needs of policymakers who are increasingly seeking integrated responses to deal with the phenomenon. And so the ENACT Organized Crime Index for Africa was developed to address these challenges. If you go and have a look at the index, and there is a link in the summary to this show, you'll see that each country has been evaluated and assigned two overall numbers. The first is resilience, which basically means how well a country is able to respond to organized crime, the defense mechanisms they have in place, for example, anti-money laundering systems, government transparency and accountability, victim and witness support, and so on. They are 12 indicators in total that are measured. The second overall number is for criminality, which is divided into two subcategories, criminal actors and criminal markets. Now, those two categories are further subcategorized. For example, under criminal actors, you'll find mafia-style groups, criminal networks, state-embedded actors, and foreign actors. Then, criminal markets covers human trafficking, human smuggling, arms trafficking, flora crimes, fauna crimes, non-renewable resource crimes, the heroin trade, cocaine trade, cannabis trade, and the synthetic drug trade. As we've mentioned, this is the second iteration of the index. So we're able to see that in Africa as a continent, criminality has increased over the past two years from 4.97 to 5.17. The data shows that out of the 54 countries in Africa, the criminality scores of 42 of them increased. Only 12 had improved scores you see that the data clearly shows that Africa has become increasingly integrated into the global criminal economy. And so this high overall continental score is really a reflection of, you know, the highly pervasive and varied criminal markets in Africa, but also the severe influence of criminal actors across the continent. And in fact, two countries in Africa, the DRC and Nigeria, rank among the top five countries globally most affected by organized crime. Now, when we, when we start to think about what these levels of criminality can be attributed to, the index data can provide some hints. For example, on the one hand, the continent's abundance of natural resources and their well-established trade relations, coupled with you know, the relatively weak mechanisms to counter organized crime, really have created opportunities for criminal groups to exploit. On the other hand, although the continent was not, for the most part, afflicted with extraordinarily high death counts experienced by other regions because of COVID, the pandemic, of course, did not spare Africa. And so as a result, the continent has witnessed its first recession in over a quarter of a century. And so there is no doubt that this economic downturn has worsened the situation for the most vulnerable populations, forcing many to seek income in formal and illicit economies and often becoming targets of organized crime themselves. In addition to all of that, there's also evidence that suggests that conflict is another important piece of the puzzle. Both in Africa, where we saw a number of conflicts in different areas of the continent that occurred in 2020, but also the global context. And so this could also explain the higher levels of criminality. Globally, where does the continent of Africa sit? 
Earlier this year, the Global Initiative also released the first ever Global Organized Crime Index. There's a link to that website in the summary to the show. But in that, we can see that Africa is second only to Asia in its criminality score. So how does this affect those living on the continent? Here's Martin Ewe from the Institute for Security Studies. It affects uh, citizens enormously. You can imagine that the majority of people on the continent, we, we estimate that it's about two-thirds of the population of this continent, live in countries with very high criminality. And then we have another 80% of the states on the continent with acute vulnerability and uh, low resilience index. So imagine, first of all, two out of every three people on the continent is facing that chronic problem of organized crime. Then you also have 80% living in acute vulnerability. These are countries that are extremely vulnerable to organized crime. So, and organized crime has this rippling effect on countries. It is also known to degrade the power of countries to be able to develop. In the index, we are saying that conflict breeds organized crime, but there is the other effect where in countries where organized crime is high, the tendency for conflict to occur in those countries is very, very high. Then you also have the flight of capital, you know, what we call illicit financial flow, which is very, very high on the continent. And the index estimate that about $88.6 billion is lost every year to illicit financial flows. So this is huge. So we cannot develop and we cannot also keep the peace on the continent if we have this kind of levels of organized crime. So a lot of things cannot happen. Life cannot be normal as everything is channeled through organized crime. Now, this period of data collection covers 2020, the height of the pandemic. We've reported here on Africa and the global illicit economy and at the GI more broadly about the impact COVID-19 has had on criminal markets. One thing is well known. Organized criminal groups are always quick to adapt. Organized crime syndicates are very, very quick to adapt to the market. You know, they study the market and are able to adapt very, very quick. Now, when we had all the lockdowns, when, you know, countries close down their borders, but they said, okay, we will allow certain goods and services. We allowed especially, you know, the transfer of uh, health product and so on and so forth. What did organized crime do? They quickly switched to it. So we've seen an increase, a significant increase in organized crime in the health industry, which previously was not as high. So COVID-19 has had this effects on organized crime because they had to switch. The movement of drugs from one country to the other became very difficult. So what could they do? They could not just wait until the market becomes flexible for them to move with drugs. They moved to the next industry, which was the health. We've all heard of various embezzlement where the criminal syndicate have not been able to counterfeit this health product. We even hear now that there is even a syndicate that is fabricating vaccine certificate 
for, for people. So the, the criminal industry, uh, the organized crime criminal industry is very flexible and has really adapted itself to the COVID-19 era where they are now dealing with all sorts of COVID-19 products. One of the key findings from this study is how the power of state-embedded actors actually grew during the pandemic. Here's Laura again. State-embedded actors continue to dominate the criminal landscape in Africa. These actors range from low-level officials in criminal justice and security institutions all the way up to the highest echelons of government. So they're not only the foremost criminal actor on the continent, but they actually also saw the largest increase in potency among the four criminal actor types since 2019. Now, one explanation could be that the increased influence of state-embedded actors may be linked to COVID. So as informal and illicit flows increase to make up for the declining revenues from formal economies that were suffering from pandemic restrictions, state-embedded actors could monetize their control over state resources and institutions. And, you know, the pandemic may have also provided opportunities for state-embedded actors to really crack down on critical voices under the pretext of promoting health and safety. And this is very likely could have been a move to mask really the misconduct and possible engagement in criminal activities. And so, of course, the rise of state-embedded actors has a troubling regional, but also continental consequences, not only for countries' criminality scores, but for their resilience, which, of course, may be constrained if institutions are unable to implement adequate anti-organized crime initiatives that are grounded in transparency and the rule of law. Now, if we look at some of the criminal markets which are being measured, we're able to see that almost across the board there have been increases. Cocaine, synthetic drugs, arms trafficking and so on. But the criminal market that remains the highest and has continued to grow significantly is human trafficking. The index defines human trafficking within a modern slavery context and includes a number of activities from organ trafficking and forced labor to sex trafficking, among many others. So unlike human smuggling, human trafficking does not require the movement of individuals. Though when movement is involved, it includes both internal and cross-border flows. Essentially, the index's coverage of human trafficking reflects all stages of the illicit activity. So anything from recruitment and transfer to the harboring and receipt of, of individuals. Now, in line with global trends, the results of the index show that not only has human trafficking remained the most prolific criminal market in Africa, with a score of 5.93, but that it was also the criminal market that registered the second highest increase. And now this is likely due to the fact that human beings themselves are the unfortunate subjects of exploitation, which means that the barriers to market entry are low and that the impact is high. At the same time, that exploitation comes in many forms, as I mentioned. And so because the market encompasses a range of illicit activities, it can occur in any and every country on the continent and indeed the world, regardless of size, stability or wealth. And so the fact that 30 out of the 54 countries in Africa were assessed as suffering from either significant or severe influence from human trafficking is really a major cause for concern and hopefully a signal for immediate action among policymakers since the COVID-19 pandemic really exasperated existing vulnerabilities, exposing more people to various forms of exploitation. As we mentioned earlier, in the Africa Organized Crime Index, the resilience score is used to measure how effective states and societies are at combating organized crime. 
One dynamic that is clear is the relationship between democracy and good governance and resilience. Here's Martin. Yes, this is something that uh, we have seen both at the global level and also at the continental level in Africa, where countries that have a good democracy tend to be highly resilient. If you take, for example, South Africa, you see that with the democracy in this country, which is it's better than in most other countries. Then if you take a country like Mauritius, you take a country like Botswana, which are countries in Africa often rated to have high democracies. You also see that the resilience of these countries is very high. And also the criminality in this country is low, meaning that democracies tend to be able to deal with organized crime fairly better than most other forms of government. And we see that authoritarian governments are really the ones that uh, organized crime flourish. So if you were to name which system of government is more conducive to organized crime, one will say authoritarian regimes. Then you also have hybrid regimes which are less resilient than democracies. And this is a finding that we've we've been able to document both globally and in Africa. The data from the index shows that across the African continent, countries need to desperately work on their capacity to be resilient against organized crime. So what future trends should policymakers pay particular attention to? Here's Laura. But generally what the index has found is that often countries that have mechanisms in place to respond to organized crime, they're there, but the implementation is lacking. And so really the question is, how do we build up the political will to tackle organized crime, which can sometimes seem really like an insurmountable task? And so one way to approach the issue is really from a socioeconomic perspective, you know, addressing the problem through real and practical changes. For example, rather than building new livelihoods that would reduce the incentives to engage in illicit crime, countries can focus their efforts on improving existing economic environments to better regulate informal sectors that would help alleviate the pressure on citizens to engage in, in illicit activities to gain income. Another way is to work with national actors and international funding partners to really invest in those institutions that have shown integrity in their functions so that they can build more oversight roles to reduce the risk of corruption where state embedded actors are prominent. Another key point on resilience is that, you know, while some social protection resilience measures improved, security-driven responses in Africa remain the norm. So if we look at the 2019 results, even before the pandemic, responses to organized crime on the African continent were really heavily skewed towards security and criminal justice and falling short in addressing the social and structural vulnerabilities which organized crime takes advantage of to, to spread. And so one area of improvement and one issue to to keep on the radar is really to continue building up more holistic resilience frameworks. So you're involving non-state actors like civil society, the media, and the private sector, especially in, in a number of cases that we've seen, non-state actors were assessed to be either the most active or even sole responders to organized crime. And so addressing deficits in this area could reduce the negative impacts on social cohesion and fragility, both of which are, are conditions under which organized crime thrives and will do so in the future. Alongside these structural changes, regional cooperation is also key when tackling an issue that doesn't respect borders. Here's Martin again. 
one of the indicators for measuring resilience is actually international cooperation. If countries cannot cooperate, there is no way those countries will be able to address organized crime effectively. Why do we say so? We say so because organized crime today is transnational. Organized crime is not something that is committed within the borders of a single country. So if countries are attempting to deal with what only goes on within their borders, they will not be able to fight organized crime effectively. So what we have seen a lot of countries do, I will give the example of Southern Africa, where uh, earlier this year, the Southern African Development Community, SADC, adopted a regional organized crime strategy. Meaning what? They want to bring every country together to fight organized crime with the same approach. Meaning that if each country will have the same legislative framework, of course, adapted to the realities of each country, but the, the penalties, for example, will be the same. So you will not have what we call safe heavens, where a criminal can run from country A to country B because he is able to get a lesser sentence or a lesser penalty in country B. The Southern African region is not closing that gap. It's making it difficult for criminals to pick and choose where they want to commit crimes. And the, the strategy also unites the region to mobilize the necessary resources, which has always being the impediment to any effort in Africa to counter transnational organized crime. So you need resources. Africa does not lack ideas. We have the ideas. Our challenge has always been, you know, where do we get the resources to finance our ideas? And the strategy comes up with measures, how countries can mobilize resources to make sure that they fight organized crime. The organized crime index, it's not just about criminality, it's also about resilience. So countries have the opportunity to work on their resilience in order to counter the criminality that exists. It is not a finger pointing tool, it's a tool to help countries to organize well, to program, to really tailor their interventions, to tailor their programs to specific problems. Before, what used to happen is that countries will say they have organized crime and design all sort of policy instruments which are not adapted to specific organized crime. You know, we used to have countries adopt legislation on transnational organized crime. When you have a legislation like that, if that legislation does not specifically target the different organized crime market, the different criminal market in your country, it's not going to be effective. So the organized crime index help countries to identify where the problem lies, the kind of problem, and how do you intervene to deal with that particular problem. So it's a, it's a policy tool to sharpen countries' intervention, countries' response to transnational organized crime. If there is one thing criminal actors have shown us, it's that adaptation is key to survival. Global and regional challenges will continue to come, each a potential threat to Africa's development journey. 
If the continent is to thrive, if our resilient strategies are to withstand the worst effects of organized crime, policymakers need to be a step ahead. And it's tools like the Africa Organized Crime Index that can help them achieve that. That's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Laura Adal and Martin Ewi for joining me today to discuss the Africa Organized Crime Index. You can find a link to the Index website and the accompanying report in the written summary to this show. You'll also find a link to the Global Organized Crime Index. For more podcasts from the GI, head over to our website, globalinitiative.net, where you can find Deep Dive or the second series of OC24, which has some of the best talks and discussions from this year's 24-hour conference on global organized crime. You've been listening to Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Thanks for listening.